Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me again, the host of the uh, Christian Frank Show, and uh, from, uh, it's 104.9, yeah, Frank Murphy. 104.9 Lake FM, it's a, a station that recently switched formats here in East Tennessee, and I'm having fun doing that, and doing the podcast with Krisha. She and I are also, we picked up uh, an additional thing where we partnered with SeymourSmokies.com, so we do our podcast Monday through Friday, and then on Saturdays we do a Smoky Mountain Adventure for SeymourSmokies.com, and they promote us on their website and on their TV station, which is Channel 6. Fantastic. Uh, great to hear. All, you're getting all these uh, great uh, gigs right now, Frank. Oh, I get paid in exposures, as you know, Tom. I'm doing this for the exposure so I can pay my rent. It's uh, it's four exposures this month. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Ooh. Hey, keep it. This is a family show. <laughs> Well, that's actually an old joke about the musician asked to play the gig for free, but you'll get great exposure. And he says, oh, terrific. My rent is four exposures. You know. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, uh, we decided it'd been, uh, we were doing some good like 80s and 70s comedies. Let's go. Let's go back to a comedy that is basically a groundbreaking one, which so we had to we there was no way we couldn't talk about a Marx Brothers film. So we decided to do from 1933 duck soup now don't let that fool you we may look like idiots we may sound like idiots but we really are idiots <laughs> how dare you i'm insulted uh, that's not exactly the way it is chickalini here may talk like an idiot he may look like an idiot but don't let that fool you he really is an idiot <laughs> oh, i love it uh and you know it, it, for those of you who aren't really understand the why the marx brothers are funny which I mean, I've heard so many podcasts are like, I don't get it. I don't understand why this wow. is considered a classic. And and I will admit, it's very strange. I think sometimes it's maybe you know how people's humor is, but I, anything they do, I think it's brilliant. I agree. I um, became a fan of Groucho when I was a kid, probably somewhere in that uh, seventh grade range. When uh, one of the local TV stations in New York, remember, there's no cable, there's no on demand. So they would just run these old shows at night to fill the time. And they would run what they called You Bet Your Life, which or actually they called it the best of Groucho when at that era. But it was reruns of this old game show. And I just thought, who is this old man who is so brilliant and so funny? And then, of course, you, you look at more of his movies and every one of them, like, I can't believe these guys are this way now in, in today's terms when you watch duck soup you're like well why is there a quiet part why but why you have to look you have to watch and stick the mirror scene for example is one of the most classic scenes in all of recorded comedy movies television and it, there's no talking it's a silent scene but it's brilliant i mean it's so brilliant that lucille ball copied it with harpo i believe on her show yeah Yep, uh, it's one of my wife and I's favorite episodes. She's like, well, Jen's a diehard I Love Lucy fan. So, of course, that's a classic episode of, of episodes. And, I, I mean, you know, when you try to explain the brilliance of the four Marx Brothers, because, you know, much as I like the later ones um, without Zeppo, they're, it, it's well, a different Well, it's really five. You left out Gummo. Yeah, Gummo. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> there's no films of Gummo. No, it might be, it might be for the best. <laughs> weird i've you know according to the stories gummo and zeppo were actually according to them the funniest of them because they could do whatever the other parts were and <laughs> according to uh chico's daughter like one time during their vaudeville days 
I think it was either Chico was uh, uh, was afraid a bookie was after him, so he uh, ducked out. So they had they all three of them sw- kept switching outfits. So uh, Zeppo was Harpo at one point. Uh, Groucho was Harpo. I mean, like they were they kept alternating. So that uh, and apparently Zeppo could do every single. That's of the cool. Other I didn't realize that because I saw a quote somewhere where um, Groucho was negotiating a, a fee for. Um, that get to get paid as the three Marx brothers. And, and they said, why would I pay more for the three? than I, I want the four. He's like, no, we're funnier. The three Marx brothers are funnier than the four Marx brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's a certain point. I remember as a kid, probably literally eighth or ninth grade, someone said, what movie star would you like to be? I said, Zeppo. And everyone thought I was crazy. And because I, I wasn't at that point, ready to identify with one of the cartoon characters like Chico or Harpo or Groucho, who obviously put on these costumes and were not real, you know, because no Chico doesn't really talk like an Italian. Harpo doesn't really no. uh, is, is able to speak and Groucho doesn't really have that mustache. It's all obviously, you know, stage makeup or, or acting or costumes, but Zeppo just looked regular. And to me, he was still one of the Marx brothers. So I'll be him. And the thing about it is like, He's doing, you know, the, he's kind of the straight man. He's also doing the scene. And usually when he's interacting with Groucho, he's having to, it's a two-man gag usually. So he's yeah. always having to work or he's having to go up against when it's a three-man gag when the others are in there. So it's, yeah, you know, when we're talking ensemble comedy, you have to have Zeppo because he pretty much is the one having to react to everything. Well, either him or you have to have Margaret Dumont. And I think that probably is who Groucho preferred working with because there was so much material with oh let me have a lock of your hair oh you'd like a lock of my hair i was gonna ask for the whole wig (laughs) (laughs) marry me (laughs) what's that rich husband oh he's deceased marry me darling (laughs) (laughs) do you have money answer the second question first (laughs) oh man all that stuff about i see you bending over the stove i can't see the stove It's it's perfect timing too because he can just spit those like oh, those insults so fast. You assume she doesn't even catch it. Well, that's <laughs> that's the job of a great straight person, you know, a straight man or straight woman. You have to carry on to a degree that like everything. This is normal. You and you know, I think we've talked about maybe this in one of the other times I guested on your podcast is that characters in a comedy don't realize they are funny. And that's something that I try to do, you know, when I'm trying to do a funny scene in improv, for example, I try to remember that the character doesn't know he or she is funny and is playing this like it's the most important thing in the world and like it's real. Exactly. And, you know, I think if you more people study the Marx Brothers, they really get an idea of like timing about, you know, sharing the scene, too, because I mean, they all and more importantly, something we should point out, they they all do multiple things. It's not that right. they have their bits. They have bits. They also have their talents. You know, they, each one has a musical. Uh, oh, yeah. That they do. And it's, I also, let me clarify, though. I know, I realize the Marx Brothers are the exception that breaks the rule. Groucho's character clearly knows that he's funny because he does the turns and the asides to the camera and all of that stuff. But my point was, I was talking about Margaret Dumont and Zeppo, the straight characters. They have to play it like it's serious. They can't, yeah. they can't break up. Yeah. And and even kind of tell Zeppo's sort of looking at winking at the camera a little bit too. It's you know the you know the Muppets are the closest I would compare to the Marx Brothers. They're, 
truly that there it's partially self aware but partially like pure chaos. And well, I think that's weren't there some like copycats through vaudeville and into early film? Like I've heard yeah, of the Ritz the brothers, Ritz. but I've never yeah. had a chance to see much I mean the only thing I ever saw of the Ritz brothers was on YouTube within the past year where it was like a they were old and they were on a talk show in the fifties, you know, and they were being trotted out and people were like, Yeah, hey, the Ritz brothers, we remember them. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's funny because it's like I think they were contemporaries, but it's you know their success was because of the Marx Brothers' success. Yeah, and when and watching them, they reminded me more of the Stooges, you know, and that that Sto- Three Stooges were had a, a shtick, and they were more slapstick, and that's why I preferred the Marx Brothers because you know Grout obviously Harpo didn't talk, but he didn't need to talk. It still was such rat-a-tat-tat intelligent comedy because you had to listen and watch and it wasn't just people hitting each other over the head with a hammer. Yeah, and at the same time we got the Stooges who and they're way more about just the physical humor. Yeah, yeah. You know, their punchline so, is why I oughta whereas Groucho would deliver four punchlines in that same amount of time. Yeah. And I think uh you know we should probably talk a little bit about the plot although There's the a plot, plot itself is kind of <laughs> no it's hilarious cuz that I, that's some of the criticism in this movie is like there's not much of a plot it's like no no Marx Brothers movies about a plot until you get to like the later years when they were basically forced to have plots this one is basically just a political satire mm-hmm. i mean about as set as as set as you can get oh yeah the the country of Fredonia is in some kind of problem. They seem to be well. So the richest woman in in the country is agreed to give them money to get them out of debt as long as Rufus T. Firefly is made charge of the country. They don't explain why he's made in charge of the country. Really, I mean, he makes constant references that he's got connections. Yeah, and that's what makes no sense. Is Mrs. Um, whatever her name is, Margaret Dumont's character is actually the one destroying the country by insisting that Rufus T. Firefly take over. Yeah, she's actually in charge. No one seems to want to acknowledge that she's bought the country, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it was not. Um, it made sense. You know, here you are. It's a, supposedly some European small country where everybody's corrupt and you know the you go to war as a way to build your economy and that's what else you're gonna do <laughs> yeah and meanwhile the neighboring country sylvania has been trying to overthrow them they're either plot a revolution or just flat out invade because you know firefly basically provokes them into attacking yeah <laughs> and apparently mussolini was specifically thought they were making fun of him so he had this movie banned oh. in Italy. <laughs> Uh, it never played in Germany because you know they were the Marx Brothers were you know one the Marx Brothers you got the oh yeah they're Jewish possible communism yeah. time but they also they're Jewish so like it was it was going to be banned no matter what in uh, Germany but Mussolini banned it because he thought they were specifically making fun of him and which, think about the time frame I mean here it is um, you know the what is it twenty not twenty but fifteen years maybe after World War One and yeah. now we're six years away from World War Two so. Yeah, there's all sorts of lunacy going on in. The yeah, world. it's that it's this period where um, it's not just fascism, but all these uh, you know post you know the once the um, stock market crashed in the early depression, you have all this chaos in all these uh, countries that are, can't handle anything. So it's a great kind of a sub you know yeah kind of uh, you know snapshot of what's going on in the world too. But once again, it's kind of a case where if you don't get it, you are not going to get it because they're talking. To, I mean. This most of these jokes are kind of more World War One references than they are World War Two, right? And because I, I, World War Two hadn't happened yet. Know, yeah. yeah, if you don't really know about World War One politics, where you've basically got all these principalities 
constantly almost going into feuds and you know you got revolutionaries trying to start wars yeah it but it, that's the point this film is a great little piece of like hey this is actually kind of how world war one started Serbia, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this tiny country uh, basically uh, uh sent some people over to start an assassination and all these you know basically these conglomerates of, uh, that were under an empire wanted to start a war it's, it's just yeah like, well, and then, but then if you just look at it still, like me as a kid watching it, I didn't care. To me, it was, oh, these are adults who are stupid and silly, and yeah. they're supposed to be running a country, and they can't even do that right. And you know, every little thing, I mean, I, to me, I would pick up mostly on the sight gags of Groucho in his pajamas and sliding down the fire pole. And um, Harpo cut everything. <laughs> yes. I mean, the whole lemonade uh, scene where it's just, you, you can't. That guy breaks. I mean, I guess the character is, is allowed to, but the lemonade dealer, he just he doesn't know what to do because Harpo is just des- destroying him, him and Chico together. Tormenting. Yeah, yeah, tormenting him with everything in the in the in his uh, grab bag, yeah, which are his pockets. Yeah, it, and it, uh, it's just those gags like his tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, and he's about to drop trowel when he, when he gets caught and stopped. Yeah. I don't need to see that. <laughs> But uh, and the thing about it, really, this is basically like a, a Looney Tune model because when you think about it, like the Looney Tunes, are basically Marx Brothers characters. That's true, and especially um, you see that in some of the Animaniacs, which are later versions of Looney Tunes. But you know what I mean. And in uh, the actual Looney Tunes, they would often specifically show a caricature of a celebrity that the audience would recognize. And the, you know, Groucho yeah. Bugs Bunny did the Groucho bits all the time. Yeah, I mean, just him, the carrot, it, it, it's, he's basically, Groucho is Bugs Bunny. That's kind of a, a secret that, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. But he's constantly, you know, I, Groucho even did the I am a, and I a stinker at one point, and I think he does it in Animal Crackers. But, the, yeah. but that's, that's the thing, it's like, the, these gags work even better when you make them as a cartoon, at least to other generations. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Marx Brothers, you know, the, it should be pointed out, their early films were not hits nationwide but later on when they got re-aired on television they became much more popular films right like some of the stuff i mean as i recall coconuts was really just a recording of their stage play and yeah it was you know but it was they, they had to make those mistakes if you will and make those early efforts in order to do the later ones you know but i mean generally speaking when you if you were to only watch one uh, you can't just watch one but if you were to say he had to watch a Marx Brothers movie in order to talk about it. I would say if you either go with Duck Soup or Night at the Opera, or probably, I mean, I'm, I, I loved Horse Feathers. I mean, I remember where it's yeah, a Horse kid. Feathers is good, but Animal Crackers Man, is the other one I always say. That's how. How do you? That's four. So there's four. How do you pick? But they're short enough. You can watch all of them. And then you got Day of the Race. I mean, and the, it's kind of uh, it's a rare hodgepodge of like which ones you pick after that. But it's it's unique because these are all kind of crazy gags movies. Yeah. Like the plot lines really don't aren't really that important it's almost always margaret dumont needs something somehow um yeah somehow uh you know uh groucho's character has wheels his way in and then chico and harpo somehow get involved as well and yeah. you know how they're involved is not always like oh they're working for each other oh no in some cases they're working against each other <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's what i love about like yeah, in this particular case, you know, Chico is a spy for the other country, but he's really just working who's ever offer him whatever, yeah. whatever you want to pay. Like, like some spies actually were in those days. Yeah, they would just, which was the wind blowing, who's paying me the most, exactly. 
and that's what's beautiful about this film. If you don't get it, you're not going to get it. But the point is, that's that's the the key. It's like, but you got these kind of hiring these mercenary spies who are like, oh well, I'll do. It. Oh, this guy's offering me more money. Well, I'll just spy on you instead. But what you've also keyed into there, Tom, is the what satire is. You, you're brought into it because it's funny. You know, whether it be a Weird Al Yankovic song or whether it be a Marx Brothers movie or something even more biting, you you've, you're drawn into it because you just you you think it's humorous, and then maybe you think about it and realize the parallels and the analogies of what it is they're satirizing, and you might look it up, you know. But you you the you received the message because you wanted to watch these crazy guys making fun of, like I said, when I was a kid, grown ups in government. And that's also why the I know that you know in the late sixties the Marxists became very popular in the counterculture because they were you know anti authoritarian and they were satirizing you know you know basically the upper class and something should be pointed out you know this is depression era comedy they're mocking mocking the rich and the aristocracy directly yeah. which is why they were so popular in certain circles and so unpopular in other circles because. It just the, the gags didn't translate to the wealthy, but they were extremely <laughs> funny to anyone else. Yeah, they're the uh, the outsiders. Mm-hmm. You know that that's part of their whole shtick. You're right; they would show up. Yeah, um, everything looked nice. Everything looked perfect. In fact, I was thinking about that. Um, I guess in, in one of the big musical number scenes where they're spoofing everything from Oh Susanna to whatever, <laughs> it just it's one joke after another after another. And as I'm watching it. And they're doing the Cab Calloway bit, you know, Heidi, Heidi, Heidi. Yeah, <laughs> they're everything. They're spoofing, but then the whole, this whole huge studio full of perfectly dressed extras, a perfectly dressed set. It looks like a regular movie, and then they all start jumping down, <laughs> putting their hands on the ground, and kicking their feet in the air like they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, they all start copying I mean- the Marx Brothers. It's hilarious. And it's you get gags like you know when Firefly is introduced, like he's singing a song about what he's going to do, and he's basically saying, "Oh, I'm setting up a horrible dictatorship, yes. and you're not even paying attention because I'm singing this funny song." And you're you know, and you love it, yeah. He's literally yeah. saying like, "Oh, if you're," uh, he's telling like a, a woman like, "Oh, if you don't like your rich older husband, you like this guy. We'll just shoot. We'll just kill the rich older husband." <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny too because it, and throughout the film he's he's getting all of the uh, old aristocracy to quit their jobs because he's just annoying them, <laughs> and that, that's actually what he's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be reforming the government, <laughs> but you think he's destroying things, but that's the point. He's actually trying to clean things up, <laughs> maybe not on purpose, but that's actually. And they're like, they keep saying he's so popular among the masses yeah, because he's getting rid of all these people they hate. Yeah, that's a good point. That's funny. <laughs> it's it's such a carefully, all the jokes are so like triple layers. Yeah. You think, oh, that he's an idiot. He shouldn't be in charge. Well, no, he's actually doing the right thing. He doesn't even realize he's doing the right thing. <laughs> now, do you remember the first Marx Brothers movie or how you got introduced to it? Because yeah, you um, and I, I are, are different in age. So, I mean, to me, it was old timey black and I had a color TV that showed old time black and white movies all the time. Well, okay, so um, believe it or not, uh, my uncle is like a diehard, like old classic movies fanatic. Uh, um, so he and he used to be the art director for uh, Knox County school, Schools, yeah, you know, in the seventies and eighties. So he always was trying to introduce me to a lot of the stuff. So like he got me hooked into the silent movies, like Charlie Chaplin when I was a kid. Nice. 
And um, and some people don't remember this. Uh, the Disney Channel, back when it was a pay channel in its early years, used to have nighttime programming that was more adult-themed. But um, Disney After Dark. So, yeah, Disney After no, Dark. Really? Is that so what they it called was, it? Uh, I just I called that out of yeah, my... Yeah, it was Disney... Uh, no, Disney Nighttime. Okay. That's what they called it. But so, and usually be stuff like that air Tron or, or Black Hole. You know, movies that were a little bit more like that kind yeah. of thing. But then they would have classic nights. And uh, the first Marx Brothers movie I saw was actually... Um, their uh, Casablanca parody, which is just the three of them. But yeah, it was a, uh, I remember watching it at my uncle's house and it was just the three of them in Casablanca. And it was almost like a direct parody of the movie Casablanca. Oh, wow. Right down toward the very end, they fly off. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of getting away, they crash. (laughs) Because at one point, Harper's like, no hands. uh, Takes his hands off them. They're like, hey, look, no hands. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, that's actually an interesting point you make there. Because when you said it's like uh, almost a note-for-note echo of Casablanca, that's a true parody. And we should talk about Young Frankenstein at some point, um, because what Mel Brooks insisted that he was really trying – he was making a Frankenstein movie. You know, he wanted – it had to be in black and white. It had to have all of these elements because for the parody to work – it has to bring close to the original, his Hitchcock parody with high anxiety. So uh, kind of the same, you know, Mel Brooks is obviously influenced by the Marx Brothers. Um, Oh, absolutely. It's it's like a one-for-one sometimes. And, you know, we should point out during Mel Brooks' period, you know, Groucho was still an active, even though he wasn't working. Like, he was one of those people always on television giving hilarious interviews. Oh, yeah. You watch some of his old Cabot interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... According to Alice Cooper, he would call him up sometimes at like two in the morning, invite him to come over and watch uh, watch weird stuff on television. So I like, believe it. There was a, yeah, I, I mean, had a, a cassette as a kid of I got it from the Columbia House Record and Tape Club of one of Groucho's one man shows. I think it was probably like at Lincoln Center or something. But he was old. It was in you know it was not long before he died. But I still loved hearing this old man tell his jokes. But to me, it was a little weird because he was so much slower than the the Groucho that I loved from the from TV. But still, he would do these songs about like today, Father is Father's Day, which is worth looking up if you don't know that one. Oh yeah, but yeah, I just Groucho amazing, and he lived into the late seventies, I guess. Uh, he died in some even in eighty actually, but yeah, the point is he was, you know, yeah. At this point, when they make Duck Soup, they've been doing their 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 act for almost 20 years he had you know one of the you know longest careers in hollywood when you consider he started as a golden age star so now, i hate to i hate to say it when i was right about late 70s it's not because i memorized these things it's just because i actually remember i was alive when groucho died yeah. and i remember around that era of late 70s uh you know we had a lot of them just dropping dead you know jack benny and uh, groucho when i was had a newspaper delivery route i would have the news oh another one's dead <laughs> I know it, it's it's but it's it's fascinating. You know, you would think some of these stars wouldn't have been around. No, they were right now. Admittedly, not all the Marx Brothers. You know, uh, Chico didn't live as long yeah. of a life as the rest, but he was the heart of living mm-hmm. one. And I, you know, the film does a really good job of kind of showing who takes the most risk: Chico Harpo or uh, <laughs> Groucho. It's always Chico. <laughs> yeah, I think um, he, and, he had but, a lot of problems in real life too. Didn't he have a lot of gambling pro- issues? And- oh yeah, Groucho constantly was paying him out you know, paying to bail him out of all sorts of like gambling debts and so forth and you know gra- and as they point out you know um 
Zeppo became a very successful you know, manager. So did uh, Gummo. So they were constantly having to pay off all of his problems. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And Harpo was Harpo was always still doing live stuff all the time. Just as himself, basically, when they retired the ads. Yeah. So he and same thing. He was basically helping out you know, the, all. You know, so Groucho and Harpo were the main primary income for the family at, at toward the later years. That makes sense, because. I mean, um, that's, we can talk about Harpo for a second because his shtick is so hilarious yet timeless because he is like the old time pantomime clowns that well all through all through the history of circus. So really, if you just if you had put clown makeup on him and a red nose and put him in the circus, he could do the same stuff. You know, it's just he is his clown costume was a top hat and a, a curly wig as a and a trench coat. As opposed to the tra- traditional, you know, clown getup with the baggy clothes and the white face paint. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, yeah, he's it, a total, it, uh, circus clown. Yeah, it's it, him and Charlie Chaplin are basically kind of variations of different kind of like, you know, uh, tramps, and that's what's so great about it. I mean, and you know, something you know, while he was doing duck soup, he was also hanging out at the Algonquin table. They were like. So Dorothy Parker and then we're like, you know, constantly inviting him over just to do gags. So he's the toast of New York, the art scene, while at the same time doing these hilarious. Uh, and admittedly, these were kind of low budget films. Uh, yeah, although I think they've said like Duck Soup, you know, they basically got fired because of how expensive Duck well, Soup Well, it looks expensive over. with all those people, you know. It's one thing to reuse a set from another another movie, but to put all those actual live people on the set, <laughs> you got to yeah, pay all of them. Yeah, watch the if you watch the first couple of movies, it's pretty like basic, you know, there's like three sets. It's, you know, you could get not shoot a more cheaper film, you know, but then they start getting bigger, bigger. And when, after this, they signed their deal uh, with MGM and that point on their, their gags are even more elaborate. And, you know, admittedly uh, some critics sort of say, you know, their comedy got lost into, it was more about the, uh, the spectacle than it was the actual comedy. And, you know, I, I think after Day at the Races, you know, their gags are funny, but they're—I mean—they are not nearly as chaotic as they were during this time. Yeah. Now, I was looking over the cast of Duck Soup, and I had forgotten that Ming the Merciless, Charles Middleton, was in there. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever watch any of those old Flash Gordon? Serials? I have seen some old Buster Crab ones, and the, you know, they're funny. I mean, they're—they're. They're... They're just crazy for what they are. Great, you know, good. Same uh, era in the late seventies. The PBS yeah. station where I was played a Flash Gordon serial every Saturday night at you know a time when kids could watch, <laughs> and, and they, they only played the one. You had to wait the next week, just like in the, your parents and grandparents had to do <laughs> in order to see the next episode. <laughs> and, and that's why I still find hilarious. People complain about oh, WandaVision's taking so long to get through it. I'm like. That's how television is supposed to be. That's how serialized tele- storylines yeah. are. You, you know, even, even back in like the before television radio, you had to wait for like books to come out. Well, that was a great idea, you know, to get you to come back to the theater every week. That's why they had serials. You know, you'd go and you'd watch going to the movies. It wasn't the same. I know, of course, with COVID, everything's different. But I mean, if you go back pre-COVID, we would go. You go to one yeah. specific movie. You sit there through the trailers and you watch the film. And uh, in the old days, you kind of just showed up at any point really during the film because there would be a feature and there would be a cartoon and there would be a serial and there would be a newsreel and then trailers the coming attractions would come after yep. the the main attraction they trailed the main attraction that's why they're called trailers 
And you would go and you just hang out for a while. You watch as much of it as you could. It's like it was like walking into the theater was the equivalent of turning yeah. on the television and sitting down for as long as you could afford to, <laughs> the time to sit there. Yeah, you go you buy your popcorn and your drink. You you know you just kind of hang out there. And and they and the way camera the films were projected, they were two screen. They had two cameras, so they would do one. You know, one would just be loading the next one as they're going. Oh, you mean projectors? So be, you mean what? projectors, right? Yes. yes, yes, projectors. The projectors were you know, two, uh, were two, and they would just be switching back and forth. I mean, when I worked at UT at the Clarence Brown Theater, they had a two, uh, they had that same set. Yeah. Thirty-five. Well, you probably know then if you ever and, ran the projector in film class, like any of us, probably any of us film nerds probably did at some point in high school. Yeah. Um, you had to learn to look for that, that like water stain that you know, if you will, yeah. in the upper corner. The cigarette. The cigarette. Part. Yeah, it was a a, a cue to the projectionist to how many to start the next reel and, and you could get, figure out the timing of it you would know what it meant if you did it often enough and now i want to tie this in because there's a movie on netflix about herman mankowitz mank um and he was uncredited as a producer of duck soup so that's where the connection is but but mank yeah. uh, the movie on netflix has the those circles has those, even though obviously it's it's a digital movie, there are no reels. They still put the circles in. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, and you can tell Fincher really wanted to pay as much tribute to this time period as possible. I mean, Mankiewicz, you know, was a good friend of the of the Marx Brothers. You know, and after they uh, got basically stuck in a contract with MGM, he kind of had to drift away from them because he liked being this independent. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, he, he worked on all these different projects independently. And so uh, and that's why him and um, um, Orson Welles were good friends later on. It's, yeah. I like the idea that back then they were basically, you were either stuck in a studio contract or you're these kind of independent yeah. you know, freelancers. And, you know, during this time you had all these unusual people like F. Scott Fitzgerald would come in and work on something, you know, uncredited. You would have. Dorothy Parker writing scripts for uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. This is that. This is an unusual period. So all these geniuses are working kind of for, admittedly for child chains because in some they just needed the right. pay. It's but... almost the equivalent of uh, Brad Pitt doing a commercial in Japan for something just for the money, and then we we're not supposed to ever see it over here, you know, or um, any number of stars that may turn up on television when you thought, oh, I, I never expected to see them on TV. You know, it's, it, yeah, it makes sense. It was a way to stay as a working in the business rather than have to get a different type of job. Yeah. And uh, I think one one more thing we should kind of cover when we're talking about Duck Soup is just the just the craziness of some of these gags. Oh, yeah. They're so elaborate. And you're like, how do they pull this off? And you don't, I mean, aside from like a few some minor camera tricks, they're doing it straight as is. Yeah. I mean, the choreography, I talked already about that scene where everyone's doing the Heidi Ho. But when the troops are marching in and the Marsh Brothers are playing their helmets, obviously they dubbed in the music, I would assume, later. But it's in perfect synchronization and, and Harpo cutting the, the, what is it, the tufts off the helmets. It's all it goes in time to the music. So it's, it's like a, it's a dance. It's choreography. It's beautiful. It's like you could re- you could almost replicate this on a stage. That's the thing about it. I give them credit. They made it where it was like physically, yeah. you know, you believe they could do this gag. So some of the gags they can't, couldn't do on stage, but 
Lots that they could go take it on a tour if they wanted to. And I know they did tour some Dutch suit. I always wondered how. Which is, I would love to have seen how that worked. I always wondered how Harpo pulled so many things out of his pockets. Because to a certain degree, they must have stopped the film. But it never looked like they stopped the film. I mean, they must have had some way of passing him things like a magic act. So he could keep pulling Uh, stuff out. Apparently his pants had like tons of secret pockets and his coats had like extra but you know when he pulls like, out a hot cup of coffee that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah oh I, I, according to the reports he could he could literally hot, sneak some of that stuff inside his Gosh. pants he was just that good at like he had that skill i mean you know when you watch and you know we're not doing night at the opera right now but when he's doing those stunts where he's flying on ropes across there you know those are real stunts him doing. And, you know, Buster Keaton came up with those gags and he got mad that, you know, they hired him basically to write for the Marx Brothers. <laughs> but those are essentially, you know, him and Buster Keaton are, you know, we're, both had these crazy skills yeah, that they can do this stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, and then also you mentioned one of the other movies, like the, the stateroom scene on the ship where they just pack so many people in and pack so many people in and pack so many people in. And, uh, you know, the only payoff is when they all come bursting out the door. But the, the comedy is in, what else are they going to squeeze into that room? It doesn't seem possible. <laughs> and and then of course, you know, shows like I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke show steal or you basically redo these gags later on to great acclaim because it's yeah. just you know they've got the audience that can watch it. But of course, their audience and- would recognize it. It would be it like um, if they had done the Who's on First, the Abbott and Costello routine. Everybody knew that. Oh, you're just doing the the, the famous comedy bit because we all like it still. It wasn't it wasn't really yeah, considered but, stealing because it was too close to the original. Everybody knew the original; it was too big. Or in, in many cases, maybe they just hadn't seen. I mean, you gotta remember, you know, it, if Duck Soup didn't get aired on television after, oh. you know, if you didn't see it in nineteen, you know, they would rerun. It. I mean, I know it would get rerun, but you gotta think also. Hey, by twenty years later, not everybody, a lot of people hadn't seen Duck. That's Soup. a That's good the, point. Yeah, because if you watch and I Love Lucy, and they do in the mirror scene with Harpo, Lucy and Harpo, you think it's brilliant. And then there's a strong chance you might you didn't see Duck Soup yet. And then you watch Duck Soup, you know, when Lucy's in reruns and Duck Soup is in frequent broadcasts. That's when you put two and two together. I get you. Yeah. And, you know, but that's the it's, it's kind of tragic that a lot of these incredible gags are completely forgotten by so many people. Or in some cases, oh, well, I'm not going to watch that movie. It's from 1933. I'm, you know, watch it. You're going to be so yeah. impressed. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So. I, I I struggle. Do I call this a good movie or a nerdy movie? I'm actually, as a comedy person, I consider this like one of the great comedy nerd movies because there's so much layers. Yeah, that's why I feel a little bit lucky in a way that I grew up in the age before on demand, before DVRs. And, you know, you would just flip around looking for anything that was on and you end up watching a mediocre Abbott and Costello movie, but you fall in love with them and then you find the better ones and the better ones. Same thing with Marx yeah. Brothers and all those old uh, shows because that's what tv in the 70s was like tom they just kept rerunning stuff from the 30s and 40s uh because the tv well the tv from the 50s was lost you know the the, the stuff that, that was live the sid caesar uh or the stuff that was recorded poorly on some kind of video system went away the only shows that survived were the ones that were on film whereas i love lucy and the honeymooners um and then the rest of the time, they would fill it with all this old 1930s and 40s stuff. Frank, can you hear me? 
Yeah, I was. Oh, I just had a great monologue. I hope, <laughs> I hope it recorded. <laughs> Frank, I lost you. you. There. I heard the static too, so I just yeah, wanted oh, to, I heard, to give you an edit. Point. I started hearing some static for a second. I think I. Yeah, I. I think. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I think this. You know, I, I mean, I give credit also. You know, say people always had issues with like Ted Turner. You know. But he helped revive yeah. a lot of this too by just, hey, I'm going to buy the rights to all these movies and just run them nonstop on my channels. Because, I mean, you know, the Marx Brothers had a great resurgence. And I think the Marx Brothers' humor because of how many people watched them over and over again on T- on uh, Turner Classic Movies or when TNT was that That's one. Right. A lot of people forget TNT started as a channel where they just ran old TV and old movies over and over again. And, and so I, I, you know, I've said it for like, Comedy always has peaks when people get to study gl- great comedy, and 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 they get to see where there's new things to work with. So, uh, yeah, and I and I've told many people that listen, it's yeah, some of the jokes are definitely inappropriate. Some of the jokes are very dated. Some jokes you won't get at all because like yeah. duck soup's an old slang for you know, you, you know something cheesy, cheap and easy. It's, but watch it and. You know, if you and look it right. up, too, yeah, you'll the, get some of these guys the hardest to do thing a little research on it. But hasn't watched the time just watch it as is it. to get It'll used to the slower pace, so and also to get used to the idea you can't be looking at your phone or doing something else simultaneously because it sounds like a contradiction when the movie sounds slow if you're just listening. You're going to gonna it. miss it, yeah. but if you're watching it and paying attention, there's so much there. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, well, just uh, I guess we kind of need to our final thoughts. Uh, you got any final things you'd like to bring up on because, this before you know, we uh, really wrap this up? I really was enormously influenced by him, especially that You Bet Your Life show. And I think that's on Amazon Prime for free. I think it's pretty easy to find old You Bet Your Life episodes. And I recommend that to see Groucho in his later years. He's probably in his, uh, I'm guessing, 60s uh, by then, maybe his 70s. But it doesn't matter. He's just sitting at a desk. And he's still as sharp and as fast as ever. And you have to wonder how much of this did he write versus improvise because it all comes flying off the cuff as he's making these double entendre jokes at the expense of these poor stiffs who are his contestants on the show. But it's so good. And I recommend it to see Groucho at the other end of his career while he still had it. Excellent. And, you know, and as I've told many people, you know, if you like this, you know, there's such a treasure trove of Marx Brothers films you can find. And, you know, the, they're also available in very affordable box sets. So if you, if you don't want to just like try to find a stream, you can find, you know, a lot of really good collections of the Marx Brothers films. Uh, and, you know, please, like I said, try it out if you haven't, if, you know, if you like any kind of un, absurdist comedy, this is what you need to go, with. especially the era with Zeppo, because Zeppo leaves right after this. And, Immediately afterwards, so, I mean, they're still very funny, but you know, there's a. So you said of, your top Muppet, horse feathers, Looney Tunes style to it, but um, even more cerebral than that. Animal crackers. Uh, animal crackers. I would go actually. I go animal so crackers. Animal crackers first, were and then I go duck soup, and then horse feathers, and then I put Night at the Opera and uh, Day at the Races okay. as well. So. Yes, hooray for Captain Yes, and. It, it features some. I mean, that's I think it was a like, stage it's a very play before basic it was a movie. I think stage. You know, it's basically okay. three, uh, three sets. And yeah, it was, and 
it's them at their. I mean, it, it features one of my favorite uh, Chico bits, which he's doing the piano <laughs> bit where he just keeps playing the same five notes over and over and over again. <laughs> and you're like, get to the next note, and he's like, oh, I, I got, I got to start over again. Oh, I think I'm gonna have to watch that this week. Yeah, he that makes point. Like, like one time, I got stuck on this for like three days straight. Uh, it's, it's yeah. and, and once again, <laughs> just like this one, they don't end with any real point. It just kind of ends. <laughs> That's what I, a, a good comedy doesn't have to. Well, that's what they say about a, in Duck Soup. The bad guys idiot. win. When you hit that last gag, <laughs> say goodnight. Well, that's what I'm reading that off the internet. Yeah. I'm like, well, well I, maybe, I, maybe yeah, they I won. I never really maybe thought about it. I who won. The bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh. like it, both countries basically lost, but who. All right, uh, uh, Frank, thanks again for coming on. Uh, this has been uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. We were talking about gut, Duck Soup, the Nerdy, which is what I'm officially declaring this is, because this is a treasure trove of like, history, comedy, and just just acting in general. Yeah, so please, if you haven't seen it, look it up, check it out. It's available, I, you, know, you can find it through, I believe, TCM, and, of course, most Marx Brothers films you can find easy to buy. They're not that expensive, and there's so many great details, and so many great comedians will say. Well, this just is the, their, the usual. I do very much appreciate your uh, so, listening to the Krisha and Frank, Frank show. Uh, anything you like to plug for? Uh, or, we get out. Uh, we do it as a YouTube show, also. So if you want a nice, a nice little 20, 25 minute rip off of Regis and Kelly, <laughs> it takes place in Knoxville. <laughs> Look for Krisha and Frank on YouTube. And folks, also, uh, we'll be doing uh, we'll, uh, this is a quick break in the middle of our Ridley Scott marathon. So uh, the show will be doing uh, coming some more oh, Ridley thanks, Scott Tom. movies soon. And uh, as we're getting further in the year, we'll be getting some more zanier stuff. So, uh, Frank, thanks for coming on. <laughs> and uh, folks, 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 if you decide to travel to Fredonia, <laughs> make sure to buy the peanuts. <laughs> Well done. No matter what the price is, buy the peanuts. <laughs> All right. All right. You're welcome, Tommy. Hey, Alfie, don't you, uh, All right. I'll talk to you soon. Night.